Hey folks, and tonight's episode is brought to you by YesPleaseVintage.com. If you're in the States and a fan of vintage and upcycled housewares and clothing, give YesPleaseVintage.com a check for clothing, jewelry, homeware, and some really awesome finds. So go check them out now at YesPleaseVintage.com. And currently, if you spend over $60, you get free shipping on all orders. Tonight's feature presentation is Wheels on Meals. Yay. I'm still having to do the double take every time I look at this to make sure it's right. Uh, this is a Jackie Chan, Samuel Hung, and Yon Biao film from 1984. So one year after I was born. And how many years for you, Stephen? About 20? Oh, I'd have been 1984, you say? Um, I'd 1984. Have been, I'd have been 13. Okay. Um... This film is actually part of the Power Man trilogy, uh, which includes um, Twinkle, Twinkle, Lucky Stars in '85, and Heart of the Dragon from '85, uh, with with uh, part three, uh, My Lucky Stars in 1985, uh, which is also known as Tokyo Power Man in Germany. Um, so, while the films are obviously uh, linked. Links there, they don't actually share any sort of like reoccurring sort of theme or character. It's just more the fact that you have the three leads in this uh, film: Yang Biao, Samuel Hung, who's also serves as the director of this film, and Jackie Chan. Uh, this film is obviously probably best known as one of uh, Chan's better works. Uh, certainly, it comes in that early part of his career where he was moving away from making sort of traditional kung fu uh, movies and venturing out and making movies such as like police story which were taking martial arts films into more modern settings and certainly as a result of his rise in stardom they had to move away from hong kong and head over to barcelona to avoid being mobbed on the streets whenever they're trying to shoot something so um this uh obviously sees the trio in barcelona which is a nice change of pace actually for this kind of uh, film i was struggling to actually think of a Another Italian set kung fu movie. Spanish. I was struggling to think of another <laughs> Spanish uh, set kung fu movie. No, I I couldn't think of it either. And but it was nice to not be on some repurposed Causeway Bay in Hong Kong or something like that. Although it's a very weird version of Barcelona where everyone speaks Cantonese. <laughs> <laughs> um, and if you are someone who doesn't like dubbed movies, well, they, they, like some of the sort of the sites I frequent, people go, oh, "I'm not watching that." There's no Cantonese version or no Mandarin version out of their ignorance about what it's in. But this one, like, yeah, half the cast are speaking dubbed because they can only speak English. But yeah, it's lovely to see. But Barcelona is one of the most beautiful cities on earth. I'm not sure we see too much of it, but it sounds. Like from what I've read, the old uh, local Barcelona council said, "Knock yourselves out and do what you want. We'll shut any, we'll shut any roads for you. We'll let you do any stunts you want." It it was um, sounds fantastic, really. But I can't think of of Spain in particular being a hotbed of martial arts action, although it is a, obviously a hotbed of cinematic action. It's also surprising in the places that you were see these sort of movies taking place i mean obviously we can look to australia for the man mm. from hong kong so in jimmy wang Yu, uh which is still australia's only kung fu movie 
And as we uh, were talking about talking about uh, prior to this, uh, we obviously can look at the Philippines and look at the Wang Wang movies, which is obviously the Philippines. Oh, for sure. I mean, I'm I'm sure most cultures. I mean, the, the, obviously that film Iron Fists documentary I was talking about was going out of its way to show all the different countries that have their own martial arts stars um although i think they missed out the one from belgium but let's not talk about that um <laughs> but uh, yeah it's but you know barcelona is a lovely city um i've been there a couple of times and so it's pretty cool to know that they they got the full route the full realm of the streets although they did make it sound like it was lots of outside eating with prostitutes hanging around i'm not quite sure it did a fantastic job <laughs> it's certainly a unique uh, a unique one isn't it yeah <laughs> but um here jack chan and um and yon biao uh play cousins uh, called thomas and david who run a fast food van in barcelona um many the setup is um chan here rushes around the on a skateboard uh, while uh, Yan Biao does some fancy cooking. And their van is, uh, I'm sure it's made by the same people who did uh, Chan's car in Cannibal Run. Because it's uh, all... F- it's all decked out, isn't it? It's like a wacky all- races. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure for Stephen yourself, obviously a fan of the old uh, retro computer tech, you enjoyed all those uh, screens and bells and whistles that they were flicking in the uh, in the cab. Oh, there. it's it's the dream car, isn't it? It's, well, no, it's the second dream car after Kit from Knight Rider. This would be, it? <laughs> but we're going to talk about retro computing a bit later, I suspect. Because, uh, yeah, my dream car is in Cannibal Run Two, and that's the uh, stretch limo with the. It looks like the monkey's driving it, but they're actually <laughs> driving it from the back. Yeah. <laughs> I wish thought that'd be kind of cool. <laughs> Just like put the kid in, put my kids in the front, <laughs> and make them make it look like to the world that they're driving. <laughs> yes, it's a fake steering wheel at the front. Oh, dude, that would be pretty cool. At the same time, um, Sewell Hung's uh, plays a bumbling private eye who's uh, just inherited his uh, mentor's business. Um, he goes by the name of Moby. Do you think that's because Sewell Hung's a large guy? Oh, because of maybe Dick the Whale. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, probably, probably. Although this is a film where he calls somebody else Fatso, which is... This, it's an <laughs> over-so-popular nickname, isn't it? It's because one Fatty or Siggy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, do you know what? I hadn't wondered. I couldn't get my head around bald, ambient, techno, techno um, American music person. Which I think this is before he... Uh, he's more of a child of the 90s, isn't he? But, yeah, yes, I'm, cert- I'm certainly sure... That, yes, that is why he's called Moby, and the realisation has just dropped on me. Mm-hmm. Um, David's father is also currently in a mental institution where he's marrying, um, getting married, and it, the daughter of the woman he's marrying, um, Sylvia, is also the person that uh, Moby is trying to track down in, uh, with the two uh, sides coming together to foil an evil criminal who uh, plans to take over uh, Sylvia's inheritance. And it really doesn't really sort of matter much because the real joy of this movie is just watching the fun stunt work and the uh, kung fu action that uh, that's in this. And certainly we've got the uh, the three lucky stars here together again. They were obviously we saw them previously in Project A here on the show. Um, and here we see them 
obviously doing something a little more modern, obviously hanging out in Barcelona. And, I mean, this is sort of like really Chan in his prime here. He's just going all out with sort of like the stunt work. There's some really kind of fun um, stuff on skateboards. There's some car work in here. I think it's certainly it's fun to, it's always fun to like go back and visit the chan movies of this era especially compared to his current output which is a little more you know he's getting on in age he's not as willing to uh sort of put himself with the risk now and especially now he's discovered wire work yeah and and, and also you know, it's fun there's some great chemistry between him and yun bao obviously you know they they be they they were part of the Peaking opera training they did together, didn't they, with Samo? Yes, exactly. Um, and also, you know, and, and while Samo's sort of storyline is sort of adjacent to this, although it sort of comes in together in the end, um, I, I I forget, and you know, we we've seen a few films. He's a really good director, isn't he? <laughs> just, he's not not just as a not just as an action director, but he's genuinely good at you know these are these are not high budget movies, but it's just easy to forget that he's not a, not just a, a talented martial artist, but he really understands film. I definitely so. It's it's fun as well when you see him and, and Chan together. The fact that they always have parallel storylines. It's like neither one of them want to play the sidekick. So we see Moby's got his own storyline the same way that um, Thomas has uh, has his storyline. So they both they both get to be the lead in their own movie. Yeah, which is which is fine. It it, it avoids any conflict, doesn't it? And and I guess all three of those stars have their um, following as well. So to bring them together, and it's but there's no one-upmanship going on. And when they do, even when the fights happen, they're happening in different rooms, aren't they? <laughs> That's right. In the conclusion, and 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 the only sort of top level criticism is you know there's a really fucking good fight that they just interfere with they break <laughs> up the action in the middle of it because they want to show sort of give the three all three sort of equal billing but yeah i just i just you know a lot of films that we watch from hong kong in this era are are, are equally as thrown together but they're not as coherent so even though this plot makes not a fucking jot of sense it's in a weird world where everyone speaks Cantonese and 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 every other character who's not Chinese is just the broadest fucking stereotype it's still hugely entertaining um and there's a lot going on you know there's there's, there's a lot going on in those two plots <laughs> there definitely is and I mean does it seem excessive the fact that we obviously have this this second plot line with uh, Moby and his invest is sort of like playing the bumbling investigator, when we could have just really just kept this as but being like about Thomas and David. Oh, the the whole the whole that whole storyline where some mysterious man has paid Moby to track down a girl, but without giving him enough information to know why he's tracking down. I know that's a classic of the of the private investigator thing you know that's 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 a classic thing but it's utterly irrelevant because she she's she's a pseudo hooker pickpocket actual proper royalty person who interacting with thomas and um what's young bell's character called again 
Um, David. Yeah, she just she's interacting with them anyway. So the whole hunt for her is just irrelevant, isn't it? And then it is. And then and then the the fella that that's paid um, Samo to track her down. No need. They, they hang him over his over the side of a cathedral wall to get him to fess up about why everything's going on. He thought this could have been resolved with just being open in minute one. But yeah, that it. It's the trope of the genre. It makes for some sort of high comedy, and it means that, as you rightly say, it means that Samo can have his own sort of solo stuff without there having to be constant one-upmanship between the stars. Yeah, I certainly find that when it comes to the acting portion, Samo's a much stronger actor than than Jackie Chan is. Yeah, um, well, like, like I said, you know, when I talked about Crime Story earlier. Um, it's going to be a long time from this point retrospectively that Chan is going to be an even halfway decent actor he is riding on his skills and his genuine charisma whereas Hung, I mean I did some reading up on him and it's clear that even growing up I think he comes from a filmy family doesn't he or something like that but he was always interested in stuff behind the lens and things like that and and I guess he's had, he's probably had to, because of how he looks, um, go that bit further in the acting side of things as well. But yeah, he's clearly, <laughs> clearly a better actor. <laughs> only one of them got their own American TV show, you know. Well, that's uh, true. Uh, martial law, wasn't it? Mm, although you know that that you know that that wasn't without problems. But um, yeah, he got a two season. Show and he crossed over with Walker Texas Ranger, and oh, um, did he? Yeah, there was a crossover with that, and there's a crossover with a thing called Early Edition, which was one of those shows you know where the guy gets tomorrow's newspaper and today, and then there's the episode that crosses over with that. So yeah, he was a he was a relatively you know it was only CBS, wasn't it? I mean, it wasn't. It, it was it was probably a lesser show, but I remember it being shown over here in the evenings or something like that so yeah he's a he's a very talented boy there you go that i'm sure he's really happy to hear me say that (laughs) (laughs) i mean this is not really to detract really from from generally and especially in this one because i mean this film he handled the his stunt work and um sort of the acrobatic side of things is it's like more of a makes up for where he lacks in sort of dramatic talent mm. um certainly when you look look at those scenes so on when they're doing the orders and he's on the skateboard and he's going around and he's like sees the artist or like oh coca-cola and talks all the different the vents and stuff mm. it's got a real sort of buster keaton sort of feel to it which is where chan's best work always shines oh, it's always like, like like we said in project a you know he literally this comedic flow isn't yeah, it he, but he you know he literally um ate a famous buster keaton scene and i think very much i think i'm pretty certain i've read you know he he absolutely says that's one of his heroes and that's but that's the kind of thing you know he just slapsticks around but he and and he's so athletic um uh, that that it just works i'm sure he's i'm sure i well we know it's sort of 90 percent organized don't we and then we watch what happens at the end of movies and then we see yeah. and we see like, when he cracks his head open and stuff like that not quite so not quite so good was it um armor of god isn't it <laughs> you actually see him smash his head open well, this is the um, the latest conspiracy, isn't it? With 
that does Jackie Chan actually do all his own stunts? And there's like, um, there's this video on Reddit where it's sort of like, oh, you can see this. This isn't Jackie Chan. That's a stuntman. And he's like, they're trying to highlight uh, that he doesn't actually do all the stunts. He's built it up this sort of like legacy of being this amazing stuntman when he's not actually doing the stunt work himself or he's like faking injuries and things. So. Really, what we're like back in the day, they're saying this. I mean, ab- yeah. absolutely now, of course, he's not fucking doing his own stunts. Yeah, I mean, obviously <laughs> not now. But he's, but he's a 70, 80, 70 year old man. But um, he can't get insurance anymore, that's why. Yeah, well, no doubt. But yeah, I, I think there's enough left. I think there's enough left to show it always certainly is him. But yeah, there's always a conspiracy theory for everything. The other thing I'd say, though, also this um this gives um Ewan Bao quite a lot of good showtime as well. I always feel he's sometimes sort of pushed back a little bit from the other two, but I think he gets um because he's buddying around with Chan, mm. I think he gets he gets to show off his skills quite a lot as well and he's I mean he's playing it a little more goofy <laughs> than everybody else. <laughs> but you know, I, I I think he's under um I know he's a legend in martial arts circles, but I think you'd find many casual fans probably wouldn't know him so much. He hasn't got the instant name recognition, but he's always manages to shine in these the films that he's in. Because as, as you said, he did a lot of films with, with both Chan and mm. and um, and Hung. So his talent has always sort of shined, even though he's never really sort of had the the name recognition. And he obviously had films where he was was uh, was le- got to mm. have the leading role, but. Well, he always sort of like balance things out. I always find when you have the free, because we said, I think we said this on Project A, it's like, like Chan does all the acrobatic, uh, sort of like the stunt work and the the utilization of uh, the environment. Mm. Summer Hung's the, the, the short fat guy who does amazing things, and he was like the guy who does all the flippy stuff. Mm. And this is sort of like carried across from like the time when they were doing, when they were sort of like growing up and doing Chinese opera, and he. Chan says it's sort of like he was like the one who'd like got all the flips and things just like straight off. It was never an issue for him. Um, and I think the 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 the, the, the bonds that you see between Thomas and David is is really sort of like one of the highlights of this uh, this partnership. And especially when you see him at the beginning and you think they've got separate rooms, but it's just a, a visual trick. Mm. Um, I look because it's, it's just funny. So like the fast food guys, but they like wake up and they're like doing their the, doing their martial arts routine. They they got the training dummy and they're doing all the um, the warm up routine. You think what fast food guys need to be this physically fit? <laughs> <laughs> it's sort of like it's almost as though someone's like wants to assure us. It's sort of like. It's all like, oh yeah, they're, they're fast food guys, but you know they can totally handle themselves. So that when we get into a fight scene, it doesn't seem like it comes out of nowhere, like you know every Steven Seagal movie. And there's also, I think there's another bit. There's a bit uh, part way through the movie where they actually go run away from a fight and just sort of decide this this ain't worth the shit. And I thought that was really cool as well because it's so easy to sort of like deify these guys and. Um, yeah, they, they literally run away from it. So there's a little bit of, I don't know, ground. I mean, it is ridiculous. The whole thing's ridiculous. Let's not be, it's not no bones. This is a comedy, right? Um, but yeah, there's this little bit of, I don't know, I, I kind of like it. And, and and all the stars have got so much charm. And it's just, uh, I, I hadn't seen it before. I've had it on 
uh, Eureka did a, a, a release of it. I want to say a year ago, so it's been sitting on my pile, and it's just surprised what just what a solid movie it is. Now, charming the three stars are, and it and it doesn't feel very crowded either. But it is nonsense. The whole thing is nonsense. The plot is nonsense. Well, you only have to like look at the scene where they go to menstrual institution and uh, the farmer's there fishing, and he's sort of like. And he's sort of like, I know there's no fish. I'm not crazy. And he's sort of like, well, why are you doing this? And, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so that, that, you know, usual spoilers. This is a 90s, 80s, yeah, it's an 80s yeah, it's Hong 80s Kong well. movie. It's it's not going to be very politically correct in terms of mental health, that's for sure, because there are several, two at least, sort of skits <laughs> done by... <laughs> By um, set set in the in the in this uh, I I don't know I think we'd call it a sanatorium wouldn't we if we were in an, a, a merchant ivory production <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> but they call it a mental home or something right on the nose and yeah and that's lo- lots of humour is made out of it although again none of it makes a jot of sense what why why is he in a in a institution in Barcelona why is he having a relationship with another woman who's there who happens to have a a daughter who's also a counter none of it makes any sense but it's fine because you accept it because it's wheels on meals I thought I'd just say it correctly once (laughs) tonight (laughs) (laughs) but yeah you know if if you're bothered by depictions of mental health this ain't the film for you no, the the guy who thinks he's an alarm clock in yeah. particular is pretty, <laughs> pretty funny. Yeah, it 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 it's an artifact of its time. Look mm. look look past it. I don't think any harm's being meant. No. Um, let's talk a little bit about the action scenes here because uh, we have some really fun action scenes here. We've got a bunch of bikers that um attack attack uh David and Thomas in in the square, and we have that wonderful dual kick moment. Yep. We also get to see one of the bikers is a Motorhead fan, which is great. I didn't know you were a Motorhead fan. I'm a Motorhead fan. Um, Love Motorhead. Have we not talked about this before? No, not on this show. <laughs> we haven't much to discuss it. <laughs> um, but yeah, they have this uh, dual kick uh, sequence, which if you look at the bloopers, which I don't know about your copy, but there was no bloopers at the end of... Um, my end credits it was like uh, project a all over again yeah it was no the the film just ends if i remember rightly but it's a very it's one of those discs that's full of alternate soundtracks and various dubs i'm sure there are some bloopers on it somewhere loads of interviews it's a very good eureka disc because mm. i managed to find the uh, blooper on on uh, online and they shows them doing the 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 double kick for the for the motorcycles and they they do at least five or six times on the the blooper reel and just one of them hit it or the they overshoot it and it's you don't realize how difficult a stunt is until you watch watch people failing at trying to do what appears to be like a simple sort of setup yeah and 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 it's one of those times i don't mind seeing sometimes when you see behind the curtain it sort of cheapens things but in 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 sort of stump work, I think it just makes it even better. And sometimes things that we almost take for granted, it's good to see how fucking difficult it really was. You know what I mean? Yeah, you know, some, of course. Yeah, whereas was you know seeing how magic tricks were done, 
has no interest in me at all you know that's just ruining the art or some of these behind the scenes stuff that you see I mean in, you know obviously the behind the scenes interview from Erotic Ghost Story is a highlight but that's because of the rampant misogyny and stuff on display but yes I, 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 it's one of the things I like about a Jackie Chan movie is that conspiracy theorists aside there's usually some nice documentary evidence of how just how bloody difficult some of these things are and how don't more people die mm. uh, also one of the highlights here comes with the van we get to see the van introduced launching over the bridge like the, the police car in speed <laughs> yeah <laughs> I have no idea how they managed to get this van to go so fast no mind airborne <laughs> no it's a, it's literally a food truck <laughs> but they they trick it out yeah it's like um what did it remind me of? It reminded me of oh, what's that James Bond film where they've got that racist policeman? There's two of them with him in. Just, oh, Live and Let Die. No, the other one. Oh, um, is it Spy Who Loved Me? No, A Man with a Golden Gun. No, 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 no. It doesn't matter. But you know, it's those kind of stunts where un- unlikely vehicles are jumping over roads and off half bridges and things like that and you just think this is ridiculous because mm. this is i mean how they introduce the van initially mm. it's just it launching over the air <laughs> and we get a, a chase sequence later where they start using the condiment guns <laughs> on their bunch of gangsters that are chasing them that's right oh. um and the whole chase sequence is like it's really good yeah. even though it's not a martial arts sequence the actual chase sequence is, is really uh, really great and it's just sort of like a traditional sort of car chase sequence and we get a bridge jump in there as well Winter, a very obvious cardboard box ramp <laughs> uh, but still seeing, seeing the van jump a bridge is still pretty impressive yeah and I think again this goes back to, to, to Sammo Hung as a director you know he's and, and as a, you know I'm sure he's he's got people who are good at car crashes and jumps and things like that but it's it belies you know the, the if you like a car crash or a car chase even though it is silly when they're like squirting olive oil at them and stuff like that it's really well done and you know and and looks like they genuine wreck some vehicles to to make the film so i i'm, all, I'm always up for that it's just always refreshing when you see an old school car smash sequence, mm. especially now because everything's done with like CGI and and Fast and Furious has sort of taken it to such a stupid extreme. I'd much rather watch this than watch a car jump between two towers in Dubai or whatever the nonsense I yeah. watched before, because it's or, or even. You know, even the racing around these days, it's all fast cuts. People constantly changing fucking gear. What's that about? Mm. It's not how you drive, um, and 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 you never really see it. And when you do see it, well, you, it's just like watching a game of Road Rash. No, Road Rash is a bad example. Need for Speed or something, isn't it? Yeah. It's like, whereas this just feels like they generally drove some cars around Barcelona and smashed them up. It's funny as well because like, and whenever you like have something that comes out of the west something like Mad Max Fury Road or Tarantino's Death Proof and everyone like raves on about oh my god this is like so good why don't we do this and then the studio's like no we're just going to film it in C- we're still going to do CGI like extravagance we're not going to smash like real cars because it's quicker for the turnaround of the setup but 
you know, when you see it actually being done, as I said, like in Mamax Fury Road, and it's even just simple things in that film, such as like when you see uh, the truck leap or you've got that sequence where you've got the motorcycles in the background and stuff. Um, I mean, obviously, this is a film being directed by maestro of cosploitation, George Miller, um, a man of many hats and many talents. Also, a maestro of penguin exploitation. <laughs> Dancing penguins. Indeed. It's funny the fact that the man who gave us Mad Max also gave us both Babe and Happy Feet. I know. We were talking about this before, weren't we? I just, yeah. he's a director. I cannot, I mean, he hasn't got a huge cinematic CV, but it's so fucking weird. <laughs> it's, it's just bizarre. But... I have no idea what it is about Australia, but. They produce some really interesting directors because it's like him and Brian Trenchard-Smith. Mm. If I ever see a film that directed by Brian Trenchard-Smith that I haven't seen, especially like his old exploitation movies, um, then I have to watch it instantly. Mm. Um, his more recent output's not been as great, but he's always fascinating when he turns up on uh, from Trailers from Hell. Yeah, I mean, I guess because Australia is so far away... They are probably, I mean, they are working within various systems, aren't they? But you know, and it's got this Australia's got this wonderful B movie culture as well, but it's also got like some really fucking fantastic actors that have made it into the West as well, such but, as, such as, well, he who shall not be named, <laughs> but uh, if, if, if well, Mel Gibson, you know, whatever we think of Mel Gibson as a person. You know, he he is a iconic and charismatic actor. He's just he, a shit. Ten, yes, and a very good director as well to boot. Yeah, um, and you got people like Guy Pearce, um, people, Margot Robbie, Margot Robbie. Yeah, and all these people that turned up for the Neighbours finale. <laughs> yeah, basically anyone who was on Neighbours seems to be <laughs> that seems to be your training you need. I mean, yeah, Margot Robbie's a fantastic actress. You know, it's a shame she is. She's she's tied herself a little bit to the whole Harley Quinn thing, but all power to her but you know she's in loads of other things as well like i tonya's an amazing movie yeah. she's um yeah she's uh it, so so yeah australia has a lot of talent what they don't have of course is russell crowe who's from new zealand but still likes to play australians for some reason <laughs> never mind Right, where were we? What were we talking about? Car so we were actually talking about uh, <laughs> car exploitation, mm. the much overlooked genre of uh, cinema, much like uh, underwater horror. Um, it's is a much overlooked genre, and it's it's great, as I said, to see the the car smash moments in this film. As I said, you said already, they're stupid. There's a scene where Summer Hung throws a uh, propane cylinder at a car, um, and, and and thinks that's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> well, I suppose it's justifiable because they're bad guys, and I love the fact that they're in a Mitsubishi, um, yeah. and all the um, all the gangsters are in like um, they're all like in Italian cars. Yeah, yes, <laughs> yeah. I hadn't noticed. Okay, you're very good at spotting the little things in it this today, aren't you? Yes. One of the things, the things that the film is best obviously known for, though, is the showdown between Jackie Chan and Benny the Jet uh, Utaquez. Yeah, so so he's an American kickboxer, is that right? He's a kickboxing champion. I will need to double check his nationality, but yes, he's American. Although clearly with um, Hispanic roots, with that surname. 
Midacris is a non-contact karate competitor who later pioneered full contact fighting in the United States and made the transition from point to full contact karate. There we go. Um, which I'm sure if you as I said, if you know about these things, that probably means more to... <laughs> more to you than it does to me, anyway. <laughs> um, but I... I, I recently watched that um, episode of Dark Side of the 90s about the creation of uh, the Ultimate Fighting Championship, and that was nuts. <laughs> right. But, uh, but yeah, he's. Um, this is probably one of his. This is like one of those standout brawls. This is like um, Jet Li versus. Um, Donnie Yen in Yes, it's in like. Hero. A, is that in, what you're. Uh, no, I'm thinking Once Upon a Time in China too. Oh God, yes, yes. Oh my God, that's um, an amazing. That we had to obviously wait until Hero to get the rematch for. That's right. Yes, that's um, that is one of the classics of uh, martial arts cinema for sure. Um, he also turns up in uh, Gross, Gross Point Blank, where he uh, has a fight against fellow kickboxing enthusiast, uh, enthusiast Jung um, Kuzak. Do you know I watched Gross Point Blank fairly recently, and yes, you're absolutely right. Yes, I thought that must be where I recognise him because obviously I'm not sort of really aware of all these people. However, this is a proper fucking fight, isn't it? This isn't Jackie Chan bouncing off tables and walls and tricking some idiot. They they appear to be having a proper knockdown brawl, which is great because we don't because because Chan doesn't do enough of that. No, this is uh, this is really a sort of real classic um, sort of fight. It's about where you're you're finding the weak point in your opponent and finding a way to expose uh, the weak point. This is sort of like a, a sort of fight that we're obviously more familiar with seeing in like the films that of like Bruce Lee, especially. Uh, there's a number of uh, Bruce Lee fights where he fights a tougher opponent and he identify where the weak point is. And there's certainly a number of Jet Li movies as well where um, he and Ka- he and Ka- have these sort of similar fights as well but um this is another one if you watch the bloopers and you see how fast um he's like kicking there's a scene where he does a kick and it like blows out the candles that's right and that was real and they it was that wasn't part of the no, script they, they just like... left it in didn't they it's amazing it's... there is a, obviously a, a rumor that um both Sam Hung and Jackie Chan had a dispute with Udacris, uh, with uh, the rumours suggesting that he was hitting Chan much harder than he was, and the pair dispute how exaggerated the story has become over the sort of like 34 years mm. since the film has come out, but obviously it's it's resonated enough for them to keep it going for 30 plus years. So. Well, it's a good story, isn't it? That, that You know, I think that there's a few stories around Benny that when I did a little bit looking up at him that you wonder how much of this is real and how much of this is um self mythologizing. But but, but no, they're certainly can... going to each other hard though, aren't they? So Well yeah like I say this is not a Jackie this, this is not a Jackie fan Jackie fan Jackie Chan fight that I was expecting, especially within this movie. I mean I was aware what was gonna happen. But yeah they are it it, it looks genuine but it looks like a fight not like a not like a sort of staged thing obviously it is staged i'm fully aware but um, yeah it just shows that jackie chan can fight and he's not just a, a buffoon it is an interesting fight as well because when you look at the other fights that are happening in this they're much more comedic they're much more mm. slapstick we've got the uh, dueling sequence 
Yeah, where where Samo sort of go does it full comedy. Oh, you scrap me, you comedy. It's it's <laughs> it's um yeah, it's 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 fine, but it's played for laughs. Mm. Um, I can't remember what you and Bao. What's he doing? Who's he fighting? Um, whilst wearing his bloody abseiling outfit, which was really winding me up. <laughs> He he has a he has an attempt of abseiling a little bit earlier into into the uh, the villain's lair, which goes wrong. But he still end, they all end up at one of those dinner parties that you know you're going to die in. <laughs> it is. It felt like a very Bond moment, didn't it? it? Yeah. You know how Bond would sit down in the community with the with the villain. Uh, normally before they reveal their master plan. Yeah, it, it was felt like, like one of those sequences of like you're sneaking in and now you're sitting down to dinner. Uh, with someone, and it's sort of like they, 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 there's no. It just felt like a very awkward scene, mm. um, which was a little off-putting. And then obviously we have the big. It goes into its uh, separate sort of fight sequences, and when needs to be like, especially when it comes to the uh, sword fighting sequence, it becomes more playful laughs as the uh, trio team up like uh, the three musketeers to to take him on, which. It it is just so, so stupid. How are you supposed to duel against three people going for three different areas of you? Yeah, and then as I hinted earlier, that I've got one criticism of this film. I'm I'm, I'm going to go with everything. I really enjoyed it, right? And you know there are some weird things, and there's the obviously making jokes about people who are mentally ill and things like that, which we should probably. But my main problem is in the middle of the of the Jackie versus Benny fight, they cut to the stupid fight. And it loses all its impetus until they come back again. And I'd much rather just had a solid five, seven minutes of those two going at it and then yeah. going somewhere else. It's you know, I've, I've said how much I think um, Hung is a good film director. Obviously, this is done in the editing suite, and obviously, people would have they're trying to keep, probably keep maybe all the stars up, you know, give everyone equal screen time in, in the fighting sequence. It's just a shame because. You know, I, everything I've read is that that is one of the fights in martial arts history, right? That's one of the ones that people reference, and it's just a shame it's broken into two halves, pointlessly. It it is definitely a shame, especially when you, when any other sort of fight of this sort of standard, they would sort of stick with it, and it's it it does sort of brings to mind just sort of like, oh, is this the you know appeasing egos, sort of. Uh, portion of the film is sort of like where we got all the they got these uh three big names that all want uh sort of screen time but do we have to really sort of sacrifice it by cutting away at this cutting away and losing the intensity of the uh the jackie benny fight yeah and there's also in in similarly there's this whole sort of thing where so the lolo fauna's character what's her name um the the girl that they're chasing what's her name um, come on, Sylvia. That's it. Yeah, you know, there's this whole. Oh, is she going to go off with Jackie or Yumbao? And there's even like a suggestion they'd have a threesome at one stage, but they just like steer clear of it at any time. They va- they vaguely suggest it, and it, you do wonder. You know, in in a classic film, you know, in, in a classic trope of one of these things, she would have hooked up with one of them, right? But they just sort of almost go out of their way to avoid it <laughs> because <laughs> I guess that would make that person the lead 
That's my guess. And obviously they're never going to have a bloody threesome in a 1984 Hong Kong martial arts thriller. They might have done in one of those <coughs> older Shaw Brothers movies where incest is rife, but and you know nothing, nothing come, nothing. No, uh, no taboo is too much. But in this case, no, they they sort of flirt around the idea and never really to come to any conclusion about it. Mm. The only problem I, I have for this film is just the actual dramatic parts sort of, and the storyline itself just sort of really drags. Like every time we've seen like seeing the trio like do what they do best, i.e. you know punching, kicking, or doing some sort of slapstick or um, some physical work, it's really exciting. And then we have hair come on the screen, and it's like oh god, it just sort of drags down these like attempts to add drama and tension to to the film. Do you know it's it's funny you say that. So I've I've watched it twice, and I, because the first time I watched it, those we'll call them dramatic moments, shall we? Um, yeah, did really drag, and I was not bored, but I lost my engagement with the movie. It was better the second time round when I knew that there was going to be some good stuff later. But I think I think you're right. I think it um, the the the, the humour's good, the fighting's good, and that, but as we suggested before, the 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 plot drags a lot for the you know every time the plot rears its ugly head, <laughs> it drags the film down for the first two acts for sure. But. Um... But yeah, I mean, would you sort of like recommend? Where does this sort of like sit in like the recommendation sort of pile for when it comes to like Chan's back catalogue of work? And because I think it's, this is more a Jackie Chan movie than like a Sammo Hung movie or a Young Biao movie. For sure, I think this is definitely his movie, and I think that's largely down to the uh, the Jackie Benny fight. Mm. I think that's what makes it a Jackie Chan movie rather than even though he's obviously starring with two noticeable co-stars here. I mean, for me, it's no police story. No, it's definitely no, not. In fact, it's no... It's, I think Project A is better. Yeah. Um, but I think... Well, I think that fight... I think you're right. I think that fight elevates it. I think it's a... It's a if we did one of those... You know those people on the internet who do those tier things where there's the five tiers and they drag everything down. Is this a top tier, bottom tier, rubbish, middle? I think this is like a second tier... You know, it's not it's not essential. If if someone came around and said, "Show me a Jackie Chan movie," I don't think I'd pull this one out. No. But at the same time, if they said I really liked that, have you got any others? I think I'd probably um, I'd probably float this one in front of them because it has got that sort of a lot going on. It's got the car crashes as well. You know, the car. I mean, we talked. We spent a long time talking about the the car stuff. We've the other the other stunt work that goes on. Yeah, and it's set in a weird world, weird reality. But I, yeah, it's just, I, yeah, it's it's a second tier out of five tiers movie. It's it's definitely not terrible, but there are there are five or six other movies I'd put in front of somebody before this one. What about you? I completely agree with yourself. I think this is definitely a B tier movie, especially in uh, Chance Filmography. I would put it some alongside the likes of Rumble in the Bronx. Kind of want to see Rush Hour in there as well, although Rush Hour is sort of like sort of eking more into sort of like the A grade territory, just because of like. With again, I think that's just because it obviously stars uh, Chris Tucker, who just really handles all, who uh, helps fills the bits in between 
the fight scenes uh, makes them so fun to uh, to watch. But I mean, this is certainly certainly um, Chan Chan at the top of his prime. This is not like the Medallion, for example. <laughs> I knew you were going to bring that up. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I'm a big fan of Rumble in the Bronx. So I'd actually have put that in my top tier, but there is similarities in the sense that it's Chan not in his normal. Uh, Hong Kong element, isn't it? That's that's. I think up. when it comes to Rumble in the Bronx, because it's got that weird overdubbing to it, um, that's what really sort of it makes it sort of like really weird. And I think it, it's Anita Moy in Rumble she, in the Bronx. She is, she is, yes. And she's and, like one of the more charming aspects of that movie. Like when the front of her shop gets pulled down, and she's like, "It's like, what are you doing?" It's like, "I'm looking for diamonds." I want to say James Hong's in it as well. But, he probably is. Yeah, we, you know, just as a callback to what we were saying earlier. Um, what I will say is, I prefer the Wheels on Meals um, snack van to the hovercraft. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> if we're going to compare the two films, that little, I think, yeah, okay, I, I see what you mean by it being, again, again, it, for me, you pull out police story and everything else goes down below that and that's a bit unfair because obviously that was his first main starring acting directing gig and and to say you know to suggest that his career went downhill from there is is an utterly flawed argument but it's such an enjoyable film and you get you know you get Bridget Lin you get Maggie Chung and you get fantastic stunts and the comedy yeah whereas this is this just feels a bit sort of police story light at times you see, for myself, Chan's career really didn't go into decline until the tuxedo. <laughs> I would say that's when when it started to get a bit shaky. Because even like his first few movies in America, like when he's doing Russia One and Russia Two, um, Shanghai Noon. Shanghai Noon wasn't great, but the the stunt work was was good in it. Mm. I really enjoyed like the um there's some really like fun chase sequences there where he's like running through the woods away from the indians which is really fun sort of sequences and i remember seeing him break it down like how like even like the water that's coming off his leg when he does like a roundhouse kick and it's sort of like oh yeah we did it so you see the water and it goes da, 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 da. and i was like this is just someone who's like really sort of think about it. and then you look at the tuxedo and it's sort of like someone who's not really thinking about it as much and i mean yeah he was making sort of clangers that but when you look at like the eighties and prior to this, and Stu, when he's doing films like um, Drunken Master, Snake, um, Eagle in the sorry, Snake in the Eagle's Shadow, those sort of uh, movies are, are are all really uh, really great. And I think it's just as he, it's sort of like towards the when when you hit that sort of like when he becomes starts just making movies in America mainly that uh, the career sort of went on the decline there. So I think it's more sort of like the. Uh, the 90s is sort of like why I mark the decline period, even though there's people are going to say, oh, well, you know, Battle Creek Brawl is awful and, you know, Cannonball's awful. And, but, you know, I like them. Yeah, I mean, you've mentioned Drunken Master, that's another A tier one. Anyway, we could be here all night talking about Jackie Chan. He's <laughs> rating them, but maybe we should do that one day. I think I mean, <laughs> there's a couple of, I want to say, like, look at Rare World Tiger, some of his more recent, sort of, like, more dramatic sort of output. Because uh, this is the thing, I don't tend to watch a lot of his, his output now, just because the likes of the Tuxedo and the Medallion left such a bad taste in my mouth. It sort of, like, went from being someone who I had to see everything they were putting out to now it's sort of like, I'll see if it filters through. 
So I mean, I think I need to go and see some like his more recent output and to see what where he's at. I mean, the most recent there was the there was the police story. Well, I think it's called Police Story Five, but I have uh, no idea where the police story is because they released a bunch over here. Like Super Cop is supposed to be Police Story Three. Yeah. Uh, First Strike is Police Story Four. <laughs> so yeah, like, there's there's a lot of that. But he made one. Oh, I want, it's probably near getting on for ten years ago, I guess. But it feels like more recently, and he did the one uh, where he's the based on the book uh, I can't remember what it was called um, but he was like meant to be an ex his daughter gets killed and he chases down the terrorists that killed them I think it's partially set in London oh I know what you mean It's. Um, I want to say it's called The Protector but I'm sure it's not I no can't... it was based on the book uh, The Chinaman that's right yeah that's um, the film but yeah it was the one he did for Netflix with um, Pierce Brosnan wasn't it Yes, Piers Brosnan is the bad guy in it. You're right. I didn't realize it was Netflix. That's fine, you know. But obviously, he's a he's a sixty. He was a sixty-something-year-old man. He's not gonna. You know, it's it's the same as watching a a film with. Uh, it's like watching the the Creed films, and when Rocky turns up, Rocky. <laughs> well, it is Rocky the character. When Sylvester Sloan turns up, you just think <laughs> it's hard to differentiate between the two, <laughs> isn't it? Because he's. <laughs> it's you know but he's it's the same guy but he's now like old and it's and you don't <laughs> Rocky want, fights old age <laughs> yeah and you don't want to see it you don't want to see them humiliate themselves because you want to remember the good times and they don't humiliate themselves they've both actually grown old fairly gracefully but come on you've made your money mate surely stop it <laughs> um so yeah, um, a recommendation I would say from both of us for this one. I think so. I just one sort of other thing is um, obviously you've got your Game Warp channel, and I'm a big sort of retro computer person. I hadn't realised that this film is partially responsible for a whole genre of computer game. <laughs> certainly, certainly, sort of one that was very popular in the in the sort of late eighties and nineties. Um, so they made a game called, and I've got to remember, well, we know it as Kung Fu Master. Um, but I think it was known as Spartan X yeah. elsewhere. But it, it, it's theoretically based on this movie. <laughs> That's, um, um, and Jackie Chan does appear on the um, as, as Tommy from this film on the box art, and not on the box art, on the arcade machine art and stuff like that and along with a couple of other things which could uh, claim to uh, be start start this genre but it, it basically started the what they call like the beltway beat em ups that capcom made a fortune out of you know basically where character a walks from left to right and just hits hits loads of baddies and then you move on <laughs> to the next screen i mean it's, it's a very popular genre but it was fundamentally the idea is is that that game is about the that their their approach up the castle beating all the bad guys as you go along and and you know end of end of level bosses and things like that um some people say you know even that's the it, it's the it's the daddy of street fighter i think it's a yes. more i think it's a little more complicated than that but certainly that sort of beltway side scrolling um fighting game Spartan X 
as or, or, or Kung Fu Master is absolutely the the certainly in terms of the arcade games the arcade game that started all that and they are still you know still releasing those kind of games now you know one of the big releases of the year was all those teenage mutant ninja turtle games which are effectively that you know just going from left to right beating up on bad guys and beating up a big boss at the end so i mm. hadn't realized that this film was like the influence for that and there's some other things that go on that that it, it, in, a, in a way, the, the the routines created for the side scrolling is what led us to Mario. Yeah, that's right. Well. Because I mean, the game itself is designed by uh, Takashi uh, Nishiyama, yep. who, as you said already, would go on to create Street Fighter, use the boss battles as the inspiration for what for creating Street Fighter. At the same time, uh, the Nintendo port was uh, created by uh, Shigeru Miramoto who used it as the inspiration for, as you said, the side-scrolling platform game with Super Mario Brothers. Um, and Nishiyama would uh, obviously go on to create other game, classic games like SNK, like Fatal Fury, King of the Fighters, which are still having um, ones put out um, already. But it's definitely, it, it's funny how, like, you have a, um, a mechanic and how it's suddenly like adapted the same way that you know you look at Wolfenstein, Wolfenstein, which is basically a maze game that gave us the first person shooter, and that led to Doom, and that led to Quake, and that led to Duke Nukem, and and then suddenly we've got Call of Duty, which the latest one was advertised on the TV today here, and I thought it was advertising a new TV show because the graphics looked obviously not the in-play graphics, but the the cutscene graphics they were using. Uh, me only paying half attention I thought oh that's a new sky drama or something like that because <laughs> it was on half time in the football and it wasn't later tonight where it popped up also on a YouTube video I was watching as, a, as an advert I realised oh that was the Call of Duty game <coughs> but yes from Wolfenstein to that is they're, they're, these, these sort of histories are remarkable but to, and just to think that this film sort of inspired I mean I'm sure it would have happened anyway right I'm sure I don't think people watched the film and said, we'll make a game like that. I think what they said is they saw the film, they said, we can stick Jackie Chan on the arcade cabinet is yeah. my, <laughs> is actually probably what happened. But yeah, the, the lead character in, um, in, in Kung Fu Master is called Thomas and he's rescuing Sylvia. <laughs> it's, it's that, that's the plot of the game insofar as early 1980s arcade games had plots. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I just wanted to say that because it's all like a nice crossover with other things that I'm into, and, and and I know that you're into as well. So that was cool. But yes, I think I think yeah, it's a really solid movie that we've both enjoyed. You've obviously seen it before, um, but one well worthy of tracking down as long as you accept its flaws. Yep, definitely. Uh, so that brings us to the end of tonight's show thank you as always for listening if you haven't done already please do hit the like and subscribe button let us know what you think of the show you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram Come, you know, let us know what you think of Project uh, A where's it rank for you in the Jackie Chan filmography um, and certainly is there any other Jackie Chan movies that you would highlight what would your personal recommendations be uh, please do let us know we'd love to uh, hear what you would recommend when it comes to Jackie Chan's filmography but Stephen, it's my turn to choose next. 
which is always exciting for you, I'm sure. Um, uh, yeah, sort of behind the scenes, we never tell each other. <laughs> no, the, the surprise is, is real. For, for 98 episodes, it's always been on tenterhooks. Will I be able to see it? Have I seen it before? Oh my God, you picked that. Oh, wow, that's interesting. So any reaction I may have now is genuine. So go on then. What, have you, what are you going to pick? The film I'm going to pick for our 98th entry is a South Korean war movie that I would argue is better than Saving Private Ryan. Is this going to be Brotherhood? We are going to watch Brotherhood because nobody ever talks about Brotherhood and it's right up there in our top five um, 150 Asian cinema and there was a number of other movies sort of vying for it and when you said we're 98 and I think that we've got to almost 100 episodes and we've not talked about Brotherhood then we're like every other Asian cinema podcast out there also not talking about Brotherhood so we're going to correct it um, on the next episode and we're going to talk about one of my favourite uh, war films um, and definitely a Saving Private Ryan beta and that is uh, Brotherhood well it's better than than our type or whatever it was our point as a South Korean war movie so I haven't seen this for years and it's kind of exciting because it's also one of those Korean films from that original Korean explosion um, you know along with I don't know probably Old Boy and um, and things that we've watched like Peppermint Candy you know whether you liked it or not it, that's part of that kind of just initial burst of Korean movies and to show that they, you know, post, you know, went once Shuri, is it Shuri? Is that with the film? The, the, the first one that really had some crossover yeah. influence in it, and some all these other films sort of came over at the same time from all kinds of directors. And, you know, it's it, it, that initial burst. So I'm really, ex- I'm really excited. I'm not really a war movie fan, but I'm really excited about watching this again because it's been a long time since I've seen it. Um, it's also directed by uh, Kang Jae-gu, who's also one of the first Korean directors to start working with Hollywood-sized budgets. Mm. Um, so he's extremely noteworthy for that. But as you said, um, the, I'm trying to remember what the first Tartan release was. It was the one with the two guys punching each other in the face. Um, I can't remember what it's Oh, called. Nowhere to Hide. Nowhere to Hide, that's it, yeah. Uh, which was the first South Korean uh, release, and as you said, that was followed by Siri. Um, and this was uh, in the midst of it, and we obviously saw Park Chan-wook come yeah. across in this period as well, so... Yeah, and, and yes, yeah, so just remember now, you know, this is the same director as the director of Siri, so, you know, it, it came over on, on, on the success of that. But, you know, Taeguk-ki, as it's known in Korean-ish, that's not very yep. good. Um we get when we get you know some big stars like Jang Dong Gun and, and Wong Bin, the man from nowhere. I always forget he's in it as well. So um, yeah, no, I'm I'm that's a that's a good pick, I would say. So uh, oh, thank you. Although 148 minutes, my may have to be done in two halves <laughs> from the watching point of view so uh, that will come cool. on yes. our next episode um, but until then thank you for listening, thanks to my co-host Stephen and uh, we'll be back next time to talk about Brotherhood, but until then good night hey hey Kinon
This podcast is a proud member of the Lamb Podcasting Network. Find the network at largeassmovieblogs.com.